Welcome everyone to Black Coffee and Theology. Hey, party people. <laughs> Welcome back to the pod. On this podcast today, I am so blessed to be joined by Cole Arthur Riley. <laughs> and we're talking about this here flesh spirituality, liberation, and the stories that make us. And y'all, I was so excited to have this conversation. Um, I had been looking forward to getting this book for for quite a while and was so blessed when uh, Cole uh, blessed me with gifting me this book and sent me a nice care package with it. And the book... Mm. I'm excited for it. And what I loved in this interview, you will hear um, Cole uh, starts interviewing me. <laughs> she flips the questions around. And so it was such a great time um, that I felt like I was talking to someone that I knew for quite some time. So it was such an enjoyable convo. And so if you haven't read the book, I would totally... <laughs> um, get into this conversation um we get into some things so sit back and relax and enjoy our conversation cole arthur riley hey everybody welcome back to the pod and i have the pleasure especially because of when we're recording this uh, of talking to new york times bestseller <laughs> Cole Arthur Riley. Um, hey, welcome to the pod. Thank you for having me. And it's it's still surreal to hear it. You're the first person to introduce me with that title. So it's wild. Hey, New York Times bestseller. We <laughs> we support it, we respect it. Um, <laughs> this here flesh spirituality liberation and the stories that make us mm. <laughs> I hey welcome to the pod and usually I start out by saying um, a bit about each guest and uh, and then have you know the guests talk a bit about themselves and I want to say that um, I what I have observed about you first came obviously through Black liturgies. Um, and I, I will say this, I started catching on to Black liturgies without knowing the face behind Black liturgies, obviously. Um, and I was very late to Black liturgies um, because I'm late to most social media. I'm pretty divested from most social media. And then Twitter is where I reside. I make my home. Uh, but I loved so many of the breath prayers behind Black liturgies. And I, I have this, you know, persona about me of the contemplative, which is why Robert the Contemplative is my name on Twitter. And uh and as you have started to step more in the space of showing who you are, I'm like, oh, I love this per <laughs> this person mm -hmm. yeah. uh, behind Black litur liturgies. And as you have revealed more of who you are and uh, 
the struggles that you go through in 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 your life and uh, revealing even um, in chronic illness, it has really resonated with so much of my own story. Um, and there's so much overlap there. And I have really benefited from your transparency and your authenticity. And that has made me appreciate um, the liturgies more because mm -hmm. I, I know where it's coming from, right? Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. thank you for your transparency in that place because you don't have to. You could continue to do the work that you do without that, but it is needed. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So I thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. And I know that takes a great deal of bravery and courage, um, especially because online uh, trolls be there. <laughs> right. And I'm, I'm, I'm a really, I'm an, I've always been a very private person. And so I was just telling you before we went live, just I feel a bit of, like a bit exposed in this season with the book coming out. And so it's constantly this like, I don't know, this tension in me of like, how much of myself do I share? How much of myself is safe to bring into these spaces? Or do I want to bring into these spaces? And I feel like I've like just begun to hit like a sweet spot, you know, of not giving everyone ev all of me, but still bringing something true, you know, to the mm -hmm. something human <laughs> um, to the spaces. So yeah, I, anyways, I'm grateful that you have noticed. Yeah. And I, th I think, especially I'll say this is, you know, many of us have been taken advantage of by leaders, whether it's inside of the church or outside, who have uh, had platforms that were shrouded in uh, mystery, right? And where they had um, spiritual practices that were elusive. And, you know, we were trying to get to this level of maturity, not knowing that they also struggled, whether it was uh, in their body, whether it was they had mental health struggles, it, whether it was, hey, do you get depressed sometime? That would be great to know. <laughs> um, um, we're trying to attain your level of seeming maturity, not knowing X, Y, and Z. And uh, I have benefited so much from people who are able to say, hey, I'm not strong all the time and still keep a, life, a part of their life private. Um, hey, y'all don't have to know everything that's going on in this house, <laughs> you know, um, but um, I am human and there's a sacredness in that humanity too, uh, that you're bringing to uh, the table. Thank um, you. Yeah. Uh, so what I like to ask every guest is what is important to you? Uh, how do you show up in the world? What, what things are important to Cole. Mm, yeah. Um, right now, art, I think, art and artists in general, um, a lot of Black literature, a lot of literature, but I'm, I, I feel like I'm in a season where I feel really near to that part of myself, like uh, near to the artist. You know, three years ago, I, I wouldn't have described myself as an artist, um, which feels kind of just strange, delusional to say now. But 
I'm starting to realize all of these kind of creative instincts that I have and also starting to find the most meaning and comfort and just rest in the art in the world, whether that's like collaging and or um, painters or black literature. So that's really important to me. Um, my house is really important to me. Like my place as someone who is also, you know, chronically ill, I'm sure you can understand, like there's just something really sacred about that. It's something that needs to be really sacred and secure and safe about, you know, the home because, you know, we're existing here a lot more than, you know, other people. And so it's really important you know, it's important for me to have some kind of comfort, some kind of ease, beauty in my home, the things that I would want to access if I was always, um, you know, in an able-bodied state. I want those things, I want access to those things in my home. So that's important to me. Yeah. How do you typically answer this question? Oh, <laughs> this is the first time someone has flipped it on um, <laughs> What things are important to me? Um, this is a great question. <laughs> it is a good question. That's why I'm like, I'm going to ask him. <laughs> How do I interface with the world? I think, uh, and don't be surprised if I cry, it's who I am as a person. Um, I <laughs> Beauty is important to me. Um, I say often that... Uh, one of the things that I am after in this life is upholding the beautiful. And uh, that's the place that I do theology from. That's the place that I write from. That's why I have a podcast because I wanna amplify the beautiful. Um, that's how, you know, that's how I see liberation is I want to, uh, go after those things that uphold the beautiful and those things that diminish the beautiful. Um, you know, it's important to me. And so beauty is kind of the anchor and the banner that that is over my life. And, and that. so, yeah, so I think Robert is synonymous with um, looking on things that are beautiful. Um, Ooh, I feel emotional. And I, I think uh, I am, and then secondarily, I am after telling the stories of those people who have been counted out by the powerful. And um, whenever I'm in a room, those people that are like strong and, um, you know, are able to call all the shots, I'm not really looking for that person. I'm looking for the person that's like a failure, weak, you know, like, <laughs> you know, they, um, they don't have any might. I really am concerned with that person, right? And so uh, you'll often find me with that person. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that's who I am. I think in a nutshell, in addition to um, being a musician, being um a whole host of other things, but those two things are really important to me. Mm. Thank you. Thank you. I have to, to reflect on that. Yeah. <laughs>
Also, yeah. just so you know, I'm a I'm a sympathetic crier. So if you cry, if I see someone in the airport that I don't even know cry, I it's like the tears just come, and I'm it's it's almost like this biological response. Like I can't stop it. I'm like. So you're going to be like, wow, Cole is just really dialed in. Like she's really attuned to me. And I just say, I can't make any promises that I'm attuned, but I'll try, but I'll most certainly cry back. So this, this literally happened to me uh, last week or this past weekend. I, somebody was in the line at, at the airport. They were crying on a call. I don't know what was happening on that call. This was insecurity, and I was just crying. <laughs> yep, that's me. I'm like, just... it could be those could be happy tears for all I know. If I see you, it's coming. And yeah. I feel, I was like, I feel wild right now. But <laughs> I don't. And um, did I know that that woman? Not one bit. <laughs> Not one. <laughs> she could have stubbed her toe. I have no idea. Um, she could have broke up with her partner. I have no idea. But bless that that woman in that airport. Um, so we've established that link. <laughs> <laughs> um, so with that said, um, props to that. You know, I'll say this. Uh, funny enough, I wrote an ode to uh, the crybabies of the world because often that's like a negative thing, mm-hmm. um, crybabies. But it's a strength. It's a strength. It um, truly. Mm-hmm. Um, so. So this is a perfect segue, because uh, I want to talk about your book, This Here Flesh, and uh, the first thing that made me cry <laughs> in your book um, is, uh, and I've said this often to people uh, when they've asked me, uh, should I get this uh, book? And I said, I cannot say that, although I'm going to I'm going to tell you to get this book because <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, people know me as a book hustler. Um, mm. <laughs> um, so you wrote uh, on the world on the day that the world began to die, God became a seamstress. And uh, whew, and you, you said, uh, this is the moment in the Bible that I wish we talked about more often when Eve and Adam eat from the tree and decay and despair begin to creep in, when they learn to hide from their own bodies, when they learn to hide from each other, no one ever told me the story of a God who kneels and makes clothes out of animal skin for them. And I kind of want to enter the dialogue of your book from that place because that's towards the beginning of your book, but there was something that arrested me in just the way that you write and that that description of God there that I literally had to put the book down because I couldn't stop crying because of um, that language and that intimate view of God uh, evokes such raw emotion. Mm-hmm. Um and every person that I, I told it to as far as like, okay, I'm going to enough. I'm going to order the book. <laughs> so what, what were you thinking there and what, yeah, take us there. What yeah. <laughs> some thoughts about that? I saw you post that quote on Twitter and I, I 
just stared there with my mouth open because that line I on the day the world uh, began to die God became the seamstress I added on the very not even the last edit I added that on the last copy edit which is not wow. recommended and I I mean, I'll tell you, I'll, I guess I'll tell you about the writing and then I'll tell you about kind of the idea behind it. But in terms of writing before that, I had just kind of named the verse, you know, Genesis to whatever it is, and then quoted the verse and then went on to kind of explain, which by the way, I don't think there's anything wrong with that method. But one, I was really trying to get at this kind of storytelling aspect of my life and of my spirituality but also I thought you know this is such a such a uh it's a moment that I think all of the intimacy has been stripped out of it because we're just regurgitating the verse like verbatim you know in this very like uh educational way if if we you know mm. teach it at all and I was like you know for a verse that's been stripped of all its tenderness how can I rewrite this sentence so that it feels near it feels close it feels subversive to how um you know how I've experienced it before which has made me just kind of brush over it you know and get to the curses and so I yeah I rewrote that line because I wanted it to be near and, and tender and you know and I'm glad I did I, I I'm really glad I did um and then just the idea in general like I feel like I have been in spiritual spaces that taught me so much about the curses you know that the curses of the earth and um even when they weren't meaning to paint this like portrait of of a vengeful god that's the experience I was having with the divine and I can't even remember when I first paid attention to this verse and I thought this is interesting you know this is a story of a god who it, it, it doesn't just you know isn't just disconnecting, you know, isn't just like leave, get out, which I think it can sound like without this verse. There's something really, I think, intimate and painful. Like he he made clothes out of skin. That means like he made the first kill. He had to kill some animal and take the skin off of his own creation. There's something really tragic and I think tender and beautiful in that part of the story that, and something very maternal, I think, not not just because it's a seamstress moment and that's stereotypically a, a woman a, a woman's job but um simply just because of that like that that maternal caring kind of nurturing experience and for whatever reason as we preserve this story of the fall it's like this um yeah what 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 comes out what is preserved is a lot of times the anger and the punishment and not the 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 nurturing maternal aspect of the divine yeah yeah and i it's it's interesting that you talk about wanting to preserve that and there's this careful look that you had of uh in your writing of wanting to preserve something um and how you transmitted it to us as the readers and which leads me to how you write throughout this book. And it was like this breath of fresh air. Every, every page had truly, and I, I'm not saying that to gas you up. It's, I described your writing to someone last night uh, 
as is almost like floating down a river, um, like uh, like gently floating down a river, reading each page, and like you're just <laughs> you're just like like a lazy river just floating down a river, and that is such. Um, reading a quote-unquote spiritual book and a, a theological type book that is easy mm-hmm. and you're just like weaving in and out of I love how you write where you're um, weaving in and out of your own experiences your grandmother's experiences your father's experiences and you're talking about the divine you're talking about theological concepts but where those begin and end you're like we're just we're just on a nice river (laughs) and it's so easy like talk about that like how intentional was that how yeah give us give us give us some juice on that yeah I mean it was it was it was intentional in so far as I don't um and can I say I, this too? It almost it felt like I, I I also said this last night. It felt like writers of old, like a very classic, beautiful style. It reminded me in some ways like Zora Neale Hurston and other like very beautiful, beautiful classic writers. I'm like uh, old people used to say like you've been here before, yeah, <laughs> like, <yeah. laughs> like about really baby about that. babies. Yeah. Like uh, she's been here before. um truly but yeah go ahead sorry um no no you're good um I yeah it was it was only intentional in as much as I know that I am more of a writer than I am a theologian you know and I wanted to be true to that I, I, I know that I have this platform in black liturgies but you know I never meant for it to be what it is I'm grateful that it is what it is But I wanted to make sure that I wasn't positioning myself in this kind of all-knowing way, or even not even all-knowing, just in this kind of educational way when I'm not a teacher and I'm not a theologian. These are just kind of my own like contemplations on these spiritual things. Um, And so I wanted to have kind of an allegiance to like the art of it and the art of, of, of writing and in that I think um oh this is gonna sound like I'm like patting myself on the back <laughs> it's okay <laughs> but, we, but I think we like a good pat okay this is t- <laughs> we right, don't do self-deprecation yeah. come on we do a, right. good, a nice pat but one of the things that like I, I mentioned artists you know in the beginning and like art in the beginning and one of the reasons why that's like important to me is because I feel so much freedom I feel you know, it's, it's, it's rarely the artists that are trying to like get us to zero in on exactly what we believe or exactly what we think or exactly what their piece is about. Like, I think artists do a really good job at expanding our imaginations and just creating these kind of free flowing environments where, well, maybe you see this in a painting or maybe you see that, or maybe you see nothing at all. And you think it's just like flex on a paper. And um, I think there's a real spirit of liberation in in artistry and I I'm trying to write about spiritual liberation so why not try to tap into that side of me that 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 like spiritual creative in me so to speak that is less concerned with having the right answers 
on these theological matters, but is absolutely willing to like approach them to 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 question them, to turn them over in my hand and just kind of wonder and then walk it back and say, I don't know, you know, I wanted that kind of free flowing, you know, dynamic. Cause I've been in spaces where it's like, you need to think this, you need to believe this doctrine and this creed and these things. And, you know, that works for some people. It doesn't work for me. It doesn't feel free to me. Can I offer something to you? Uh, <laughs> I, I think artists make the best theologians. Um, mm the very, very best ones. Um, um, that's a thought. Um, and because I, I, because I think they're able to think in that organic, smooth way where they don't have to have the right answers. And, and I think this book is part of that, right? Like the, the way that artists think um, they're posing these ideas into the world, right? Um, and so when they're engaging realities that are not um, fixed, right? Um, I think they have the most to offer what we think about the divine, um, you know, if we'll let them, right? Like, I, I, so, so when you said, I'm not a theologian, I, when you say I'm not a theologian, I'm like, what do you mean by that? No, I just, <laughs> <laughs> so that's a, as a thought, I, you know, I think traditional theologians, yes, yeah. but yeah. Um, I think the way forward is through the work, uh, if we'll let them, you know. If we'll mm. let them. Yeah, I like that. And yeah, hmm. you're making me think of that, um, uh, that James Baldwin quote. Let's think of James Baldwin. Uh, he, he says, at some point, he says, only artists can be trusted to tell the truth, which is very controversial. Only artists can be trusted to tell the truth. Maybe there's something in that, in what you're saying, of like, there's something about how an artist approaches the world and isn't, you know, threatened by other people's beliefs or kind of other people's vision and, and line of sight that, yeah, huh, okay. I'll take that. Yeah, I, I, I believe it. And that leads me to this next question before I, I, before I get into another part of the text. Um, so why this book, this particular book, you could have written on anything. Um, and then why now? Mm. Um, I'll answer the, the second question first. I, have always been a writer, well, not always, but as long as I could, I did. And so like, why now is because I've, I mean, I, I, I've just wanted to, I wanted to write for so long and be paid to write. I do I know feel, that's right. <laughs> I, I, I do feel like I, I'm 31. So like, you know, people write books when they're 25, but I think that would just haunt me. I think I'm going to be haunted by this book, frankly, because I'm, <laughs> I I always think like, what will my 50 year old self think about this sentence? Or like, I think about that all the time. Anyways, all to say, I'm, I feel like I'm in a place where I have this kind of enough inner stability that I know what I think that I could write a book that's, you know, um, somewhat honest, <laughs> hopefully. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I was like, yeah, I think I could do this. But also I think Black Liturgy's opened up this, 
this opportunity really made it so that it, that's publishers started to contact me through black liturgies and um really gave me an imagination for okay you could do this now you could do this now now um and then why this book i had been interviewing i i don't think of myself as the family historian but the more I do these interviews, the more I'm like, maybe that is your role in like your family system. But I've been doing interviews with people in my family, like older people and trying to just collect stories and, and record them so I could like uh, preserve their mannerisms and things like that. And I started this a handful of years ago. I can't even remember when I started this, but the first two people I interviewed were my father and my grandma. And um there is so much interplay between our stories and just um yeah such a kind of mysterious like bonding that I felt really I felt really drawn to them in 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 that season and I was thinking I mean you're a contemplative so I'm sure you've read like a lot of books in the contemplative tradition I thought I was going to write you know one of those and all of that, all, all um, you know, spiritual contemplation. And I just found that wasn't like, that's not who I am as a writer. You know, I, <laughs> yeah. I'm a storyteller. My family, we're a family of storytellers. That's our household spirituality is like story and myth. And so how was I going to write this first book and share anything meaningful about myself without doing it like the way that is true to me? And mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, yeah, so I, I wanted to ground myself in those stories. There's a beautiful Alice Walker quote that I think most people know of, you know, how, how simple a thing it seems that to know ourselves as we are, we must know our mother's names. Mm-hmm. We must know our mother's names. It's just so beautiful. And, and, and yeah. just, I think, I, I mean, so many people have said beautiful things about like this intergenerational exchange that comes, you know, in terms of self-awareness, like what can be done when, yeah. like, I mean, Toni Morrison talks about this, what can be done when the path to your interior life is the the people who came before you. Um, mm. She says like, they are my entrance, like their interior lives are, they, are my entrance to my own interior life, which I have absolutely found to be true. And so, yeah, I, I, I couldn't just write about me, nor did I want to because I'm a private person. So part of it was probably hiding <laughs> as well. <laughs> but I thought, you know, in the comfort of the three of us, you know, in, in good company, I can, I can be honest. I can tell these stories. Wow. Wow. I love that. Um, ah, I love that. Um, I, so I want to ask you about two portions of your book. Um, whew, okay. So the first is on the body. You, you spend a lot of good time, like centering things on the body like throughout the book and on this chapter who so I want to ask you about um like you you spend time kind of unpacking uh, the spirituality that's really connected to our actual like flesh like and you give this dignity to like a spirituality that is not obviously disembodied right and I love that um, and I think part of the conversation today uh, around people leaving 
Christianity deconstructing, leaving the church is because they had a faith practice that was disembodied, right? And so um, I love this quote at the end of, uh, of this chapter uh, on page 68, where you said, you want to tell me to love God, ask me what I've last eaten. Come now, you want me to tell you a prayer, you'll find it in the blood beating from heart to head to toe and home again. Don't ask me of salvation. Listen to the hum of my chest as I now fall asleep. I cannot see the face of God by rejecting my own. And I just love how you kind of throughout that chapter really talked about, you know, your journey into your own body and your, you know, unpacking what it means to be inside of your body. And yeah, so just unpack a little bit of that and, and, and what, what being inside of your own flesh looks like to you now and how you see God. Yeah, I think I have been prone to disembodiment since I was very little. I was kind of, I was, I was a kid who was just kind of living in my mind and, you know, reading a lot from a young age and just, yeah, not, not really fully, fully in my body. And so my parents uh, got me into ballet and it was the kind of, I didn't do any other sports, um, but it was this one kind of way that I learned to connect with my body and take up space, but it was also this incredibly um, painful and not all that healthy environment as a black person in the world of ballet, you're usually the only black person in the room. And because of that, I really, it was like, I both learned my body and I turned against it. You know, I developed an eating, I don't talk about this in the book, but I developed an eating disorder for a decade, bulimia. And really um, in college was the first time I was in a lot of white spaces. And I, you know, was so desperate to belong to them, desperate to belong to these white intellectual spaces that I really sacrificed my physical self. I felt like if I was going to remember it, to remember it felt so painful or felt so alienating. Um, so it was better to just kind of ignore and numb. And then fast forward to now. So I'm living with chronic illness and my relationship to my body is more complicated than ever, right? Like, especially when for those of us who, you know, aren't, aren't born ill and, you know, become ill later in life, like those first years, the bartering that you do with God, the, um, I mean, not even those first few years, but especially those first few years, the, the bartering, the ways that you're unwilling, you, you just don't want to accept how your body has changed and like the present body. And so I was just, you know, speaking these really ugly things over my hands, over, you know, my eyes, over um, all of it. And I, I don't mean to rant, but like, we talk, there's a, there's a lot, there's a trend right now of talking about the body. And it feels to me sometimes like a very like raw, raw, toxic positivity, like listen to your body kind of mantra. And for those of us who've known pain, who have known pain, like we have known it, you can't just ask someone to listen to their body without acknowledging the cost that that takes. No. You know, it's costly. Every time I remember my body, I also remember that my hands hurt. And I also remember that it feels like there's something stabbing behind my eye. And like, like it's, it's different for us. 
But I do think that chronically ill bodies, disabled bodies are unique, um, have a lot to teach us, have a, have a lot to teach us about how to befriend a body without conditions, you know, how to really nurture and take care of ourselves because how to really nurture and listen and take care of the body because we can't afford not to many of the time, most of the time. So I'm learning that I'm trying. And when I think about, you know, I mean, it's so tragic that it's in Christian spaces that I felt most compelled to lead a disembodied life. Meanwhile, the Christian story is just so fleshy. So like, yeah, so embodied it's yeah. Yeah. No. I don't want to put I don't want to put you on the spot but I'm just I, I'm curious like what your like journey in the pandemic has been like for for you as a chronically ill person in your relationship to your body and spirituality yeah um no I don't feel put on the spot um it's painful <laughs> um I think uh who I I think the pandemic, um, my relationship to my body, um, I'll say it this way. Uh, when the pandemic uh, started, uh, I began to realize first how tired I was because I am a high functioning, chronically ill person. I realized that there really hasn't been an option for me to not be okay, right? I am a single person, right? So um, I'm chronically ill, but functionally in this society, nobody cares. I mean, when people ask me, how much pain are you in? Um, on any given day, it could be a 10 out of 10, but... <laughs> Uh, it's almost laughable. Like this society doesn't have um, stop gaps for that. Mm -hmm. um, so deal with it. Um, and, and so when um, we were literally um, told to stay in the house, I remember I finally had permission to actually be fully not okay. Mm -hmm. And um lots of tears and lots of I am not okay right and and so I actually felt all the pain in my body and all of it was it was it was sad how much um I was able to um feel feel every portion of my body right and so I I, I definitely understand the um actually being able to take in all the sensory data finally, because I really, I realized I had to, in some ways be disembodied to be able to go through things. And mm -hmm. I realized how much the church hated me. Um, um, and I realized how much I, during the pandemic, I, I finally realized how much I wasn't willing to go back to any um, church space in a disembodied way again. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah, and so as churches built systems, as they were scrambling to build systems, um, like, <laughs> what will we do now, you know, as 
now that the able-bodied people can't enter into church spaces, I'm thinking, we've all, <laughs> you know, because now that it's a crisis for able-bodied people, now it's an actual crisis. Um, <laughs> and so that also hurt because I realized, oh, you, I, I think it really tuned in for me how much ableism was even within the church, right? And so for me, my journey with everything really, um, I finally had the space to realize my body is hated in society and in the church. And um, that did a lot of things to my mental health um, uh, that I had to reconcile with. Um, and I had space, I had more than enough space to deal with it and it was painful, um, yeah. Yeah, I, I resonate with so much of what you're saying, especially around like the beginning of the pandemic and just kind of the, the awakening that I think many of us had around like what we'd really been asking of our bodies, usually yes. on behalf of other people, but also just in terms of survival. Um, and I would, I like almost would feel guilty for saying it because everyone was like, it must be so hard. It must be so hard to like be homebound. You can't go anywhere. And yeah, in ways it was, but at the same time, there was some kind of relief because yes. I didn't have to justify, you know, as someone who it like is like seems okay to the, to the, to the naked eye who's like, it's like you, for, for once I didn't have to explain. I didn't have to, it was like, I could really rest I didn't owe anyone I could say no I didn't owe anyone any you know stories I didn't have to prove anything to anyone because everyone so there was something yes. really I don't know really transformational about those early months of the pandemic especially where I realized why did you feel like you couldn't do this before you know um and I know why the pressure is there the the realities especially if you're a single person I I live with other people but especially you know if you live alone or if you don't have someone who can help you like we do what we can to survive and like, exactly and, and 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 who can fault you for it you know fault the people who demand those things of your body who demand this in order for you to live and and eat enough and yeah yeah and it's true and that and i i cherished that i didn't have to explain my facial expressions anymore even just that 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 being taken away that wow you seem like you have an attitude actually i'm just i'm in pain today <laughs> um, mm -hmm. but i you know all of that being stripped away and now i can just be in my own body um and now that the world quote unquote is back to normal um i hate it <laughs> zero out of ten do not recommend <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I agree with you. <laughs> I resonate with what you're saying. And, um, and I think that that leads me to everything that you had to say. And I cried all through your chapter on community. <laughs> too. That's why I was like, let me put this book down. <laughs> There's an exorcism happening. Um, <laughs> Everyone was like, why are you reading that book? <laughs> um, so um, really quick, I want to ask you about, um, so on community, 
you said um you put uh, you wrote i do join the scores of others who have said that in more ways than one the flourishing of a healthy community lies in the ability of its parts to be solitary maybe we habitually ignore the boundaries of a friend because we fear absence will end in abandonment or we make unhealthy demands of relationships to satisfy our own insecurities desperate for affirmation uh, solitude can be a profound teacher it can teach us how to hold ourselves how to affirm ourselves and listen how much is the sound of your own voice worth and I just love especially in light of what we were just talking about like our bodies being sacred knowing how to hold our bodies especially disabled bodies and chronically ill bodies and from that place knowing how to create community and the sacredness of community is important and yeah i'm just curious as your thoughts on you know the community is a buzzword so when you wrote that chapter on belonging just talk you know for a moment on what belonging and community means to you mm-hmm. yeah because um, community is on every um church website um <laughs> community or cults yeah exactly <laughs> um, yeah uh to me I think again I'm only 31 but the older I get the more I feel like belonging is such a core thing that is driving so many most of us I think it's just this core human desire I think it it, it's behind a lot of our fears it's behind a lot of our wants it's you know behind a lot of our beliefs I think many of us wouldn't believe the things we do if our belonging didn't depend on us believing the things we do or at least claiming to believe them um and so yeah i think belonging is a really powerful force even for introverts you know even for i'm very introverted um and i'm very content to to be alone and find a lot of rest and relief in that but i i can even acknowledge um yeah just how much i i think i'm becoming honest about just how much i'm still driven by a sense of belonging and uh, will i be and and, in the the counter of belonging which is alienation or rejection and that's just everyone's fear right that's just one of the most human fears there is will i be rejected will truly you know um in in many different ways so yeah all that to say so I've, the chapters they're on this trajectory from dignity to liberation and I knew somewhere along the way I needed to make it clear that you know the people who are encountering this book alone you know especially those like super serious contemplative introverts or whatever yeah. like I, I needed to make it clear like you're not exempt you're in this you 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 need this too and if you have any kind of delusion that you don't need community that you don't need a sense of belonging that you're not driven by a sense of belonging it's probably because you've been wounded 
mm-hmm. and let down and um, violated by the communities that you belong to. And so I think we construct these like, um, yeah, we construct these false selves around us not needing people and us being so independent and yada, yada, yada. And, you know, I have a lot of compassion for that because I think that that is usually born out of something really unfortunate. It's born out of a letdown. It's born out of a, yeah, so many things. And in spiritual spaces, you know, I'll say that not all belonging is good belonging. <laughs> I know that's right. <laughs> you know, and, and in spiritual spaces, we, especially with young people, we get these young people, we scoop them up and, you know, young people who are so driven by a desire to belong, um, we scoop them up and we promise them, you know, you'll, you'll be one of us. Community, there's a reason why community is on every church website, because it's very enticing. You know, it's very, it's, it's a very compelling, like, uh, apologetic. You'll, be, you'll belong if you, if you believe this. Um, and I, and I think that for me, that put me in spaces where I had to compromise a lot of what I actually think, a lot of who I am. I had to compromise my blackness. I had to compromise my, my body just in order to experience some kind of embrace, you know, when I should have been looking elsewhere. I, yeah. I, I love that you said that because I think, you know, it's kind of like, you know, the job that says, you know, we're all family here. Um, Mm -hmm. And then now that that (laughs) at 38 years old, (laughs) I know I'm being bamboozled when I, (laughs) when I hear that Mm -hmm. we're all family here. Oh, okay. That'll do it. (laughs) That'll do it. Uh, You ain't got to worry about me. You ain't got to worry about me. I am out of here. When when a CEO says we're like a family here. Oh, thank you. You know what? Sorry, to this sorry, man. sorry to this man. <laughs> that that's all the time we've got here, folks. I listen. I know a lot. Once once a powerful person says we're a family. Oh oh hell, um, we're out of here because ain't no ain't no way, man. Ain't no way. Um, and it's just to your point that is a powerful apologetic because it pulls on that inner core that we need to belong and telling someone we are like family um, pulls on that, that echo within to want to belong to something greater than oneself. Mm -hmm. Um, And so a church saying that ain't no way, man. (laughs) (laughs) I can tell by this, when I click on the church website, the company website, Mm-mm. something ain't clean the stock, the stock photos yeah the stock photos couches <laughs> i could tell it click on one of the one of the sermons oh ain't no way <laughs> this is not <laughs> ain't no i click on the worship ain't no way this is like a family uh-uh um what's the past five sermons oh <laughs> you lying <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I, I resonate with that. So yeah, I think the the last question that I would ask you is, you know, as you're 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 going through this book tour and presumably it is it, you know, it's a whirlwind. It's a time, time and a half a time. 
And um, when it's all said and done, what is the thing that you hope that people leave with when they are, you know, what, what is the thing that you hope resonates from your book the most? When you're like, who, you finished the last interview podcast when you know, you're like, I am, I've put this here flesh on the shelf and you're done with everything. And you know, this year is behind you. What is something that you hope has resonated the most with people? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think I hope that when it's you know said and done that I've given some people an imagination for storytelling, for preserving stories. I mean, especially black people, um, especially black people who have had a lot of their artifacts, a lot of their history stolen. What does it mean to be good caretakers now of what we have and um, good historians, you know, mm-hmm. those who have come before us and to understand that, you know, we can't make sense of our interior worlds. We can't really grab hold of a sense of self and become honest about how we interact with the world without this kind of grounding in stories and this attention, this kind of sacred attentiveness to story, um, both our own and those that have made us. Yeah, I hope. (laughs) Yeah, I feel it, I feel it. Well, amen and amen. Thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Black Coffee and Theology Pod is a production of Three Black Men, the podcast about theology, culture, and the world around us. Follow us on Twitter at Three Black Men. If you like the content that you are receiving here and want to receive more, whether that is in longer conversations, essays, devotions, and videos from either myself, Sam, or Trey, please sign up for, for our Patreon at patreon.com slash three black men. Don't forget to like, rate, and review Black Coffee and Theology Pod as well as Three Black Men.